giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Kevin Withane, founder of Diversity X. Kevin, thanks for joining me. Chad, thank you so much for having me on this show. Kevin, I know you have a deep expertise and background in law and ethics and compliance, particularly when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion issues. And that has led you to create Diversity X. And so what is Diversity X? Diversity X is a community for underestimated founders trying to make a positive impact in the world. We're working on creating a VC fund for it. And also uh, it's an ecosystem to support those underestimated founders uh, and help them thrive and scale and grow. That's great. What kind of support and community are underestimated founders lacking? And how does Diversity X fill in that gap? I think it's a mix of connections Mm -hmm. and access. I use the term underestimated rather than what many people term as underrepresented because there are plenty of people of color founders, plenty of LGBTQ plus founders, plenty of female founders, disabled founders, veteran founders. There are lots of them in the world. So they are represented. They're just underrepresented in the equitable allocation of capital, particularly venture capital at early stage, which sees many of these founders not necessarily succeed or have to work that little bit harder just to get a starting place uh, where many others get founding funding a lot earlier and a lot easier in their journey. And not saying uh, raising capital is easy at all for anybody, but mm-hmm. it's easier for certain groups of people than it is for others. What makes it easier? I- I'm going to be candid in, mm-hmm. in my views. I think it makes it easier if you're a white male. Nothing against white males, uh, but it's easier. There's that privilege. But also you look, sound, probably have a lot of similar backgrounds to the people who are allocating the money, who Mm -hmm. have control over whether they invest or don't invest in startups. And I think also they tend to have better connections or better ins. Mm -hmm. It is a generalized statement, but data shows that 93% of VC money typically goes to white male founders. So it's backed up by data to an extent. Right. I mean, and it doesn't even need to be ill intent. In some cases it might be, but it doesn't need to be. So much of the VC world is about connections and what you've done previously and who you know and the intro you're able to get. And then when you finally get the meeting, if you're out pitching something that just isn't even on the radar of the typical VC, they're not going to connect with your idea in the same way that you do. When we're building products, having a diverse team of people allows us to see all the different aspects of that product and you know, have people saying, well, what about this? From my background or my perspective, I understand that this is a particular concern for women around the safety of this or something. And people say, oh yeah, didn't even realize that. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, within the Diversity X community, very early on, I realized one of the probable flaws for VC is, let's be honest, it's a very male-dominated industry. I think mm-hmm. there's there's making real strides to change it, make it more open, more accessible to females and people of color. But 
essentially, for the most part, it's people who look and sound the same and typically are a white male. And there's no disrespect, but sometimes like you can get a pitch about femtech and whilst you may go, yeah, I can see that this could be a problem. You don't know because the fact is you're not a woman. (laughs) Just don't know. And I experienced that very early on speaking to a female founder who's part of the community and, and she's really trying to do some amazing stuff. But at first I was like, I can empathize with the issues you're trying to address here and the problem, but that's as far as my knowledge goes and it made me wonder if vcs who are getting this sort of pitch will probably turn them down so like they can't understand the problem so therefore they can't understand what the solution that the founders trying to come up with mm-hmm. is really trying to address and so pushes it by because they don't have that expertise and that's not their fault it's just there's a lack of diversity within the vcs themselves to be able to address that but then you hear these stories about male founders coming up with a femtech solution right almost on the back of a cigarette packet uh and they're getting x amount of dollars to go and do some research and try and start building a product around what their idea is and yet many of the female founders are like scratching their head well we didn't have an in to to that vc so we never got in and yeah so we don't get funding for what is a problem that we actually experience ourselves uh, and we're trying to address This conversation reminds me of a conversation that I had in 2018 in episode 279 with Alex Friedman, the co-founder of Lola, which is a feminine products company. And she talked about how it was clearly uncomfortable (laughs) for the people that they were talking to, to talk about these kinds of things. So even that can have an aspect to it where like, and then men may be more comfortable talking with men about feminine products than they are about women, uh, to women about them. And it just permeates the whole conversation when you're trying to launch a product that you need money for, if it's uncomfortable or or it's foreign or, you know, all of those things. Absolutely. The industry needs to change in a couple of ways. I see it. There needs to be greater emphasis on VCs building networks and connections into the communities and to the founders that are underestimated, people of color, female, from different socioeconomic backgrounds. They may not have been able to afford to go to MIT or Harvard, but you know, super smart people solving real, real life and real world problems. And VCs themselves need to look at their own diversity, like and it's not diversity just because for the sake of, well, we need X number of women now with investing power or we need more people of colour to invest. It's because those people bring their lived experiences, which is the same for any business, right? It's no mm-hmm. different for if you're a big corporate. Like you need the, the reason for diversity is the same. It's to get that cognitive diversity, that cognitive difference of lived experience, which you then bring into your field. It's it's something as human beings we can't detach ourselves from. Like we can't detach ourselves from our lived experience. We we take that everywhere we go. So what's involved in creating a venture fund? A lot more work than I thought. Um, <laughs> I don't have a venture background, so I'm already 700 steps behind everybody else that is doing it. Even the good guys who are trying to actually address this problem, many of them actually come from venture background but you know I'm, I'm looking out there and i'm seeing people like matt the vc arlen hamilton and, and they inspire me that i can do this because ultimately you know i had a soft conversation with you know a family office just to try and explain what i'm doing uh, and see if there'd be interest 
And I actually liked the idea, but they said to me, uh, who are your competitors out there? And I said, look, you can think of me as naive, but the reality is I don't think I have any competitors. And the reason is because we have a mission. Our vision is a world where you don't have underestimated founders. Our mission is to grow the world's biggest community of underestimated founders and, and support those that are VC ready and, and, and the right fit for funding that are going to be successful with capital. And whilst there are other companies uh, and funds doing this, they have niches where they focus on certain areas. We're much broader. But ultimately, no matter how much I raise in the fund, it's never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough to meet the gap that there is right now and the opportunity. So when you say competitor, every time an underestimated founder gets funded and gets given the opportunity to really address the problem that they're trying to tackle, that's a win for me because it's helping my mission and the vision. So that's the way I look at it. And yes, that is a little bit naive maybe, but you look at the Elon Musk and you look at founders who are trying to do amazing things and you don't, you don't really knock them down for their grand visions, right? You have to aim high and that's what we're trying to do at Diversity X. So uh, I noticed that you are particularly focused on the UK and Europe. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, the investment community tends to be different between the United States and Europe. Mm -hmm. How have you found that and has that been, you know, sort of adding a challenge on top of a challenge? Yeah, it is adding a challenge on top of a challenge. It is different. I think the US in some senses is much more progressive, mm -hmm. uh, much more open. You know, it's funny. I was talking to a friend and I was saying, you know, this is, a, I can't really talk numbers because I don't want to get in trouble with the FCA. But, you know, I said to him, like, this is the sort of size of the fund. I'm looking to raise and he, he he's an American and he, he just looked at me and said uh why and I said well you know you need sort of skin in the game you need this this and this he looked at me and said like you are the skin in the game your passion comes through he goes in America people will be looking at you saying uh you're way too small like you need to go much bigger than this and I said but you know skin in the game skin in the game skin in the game and he said don't worry about that go big and see if people will buy into it he said and that's I think much more of the, the view across the pond, mm -hmm. like there's much more appetite. And I think for, for European VCs and particularly those probably starting out, trying to address some of the issues that Diversity X hopes to address, we've got to move probably and work helpfully in tandem with with the more progressive, more open, more uh, solution-orientated VC funds that are coming from the US because quite frankly, they are, they are coming here now. Mm -hmm. um, they're coming to UK and Europe, but you know, the reason I, I, I wanted to start in the UK and focus on the UK and Europe is that's where I'm based. That's where the best part of my knowledge is. Although interestingly, I guess my network is probably from the sort of LP side, probably stronger in the US. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how that pans out. I assume that there are some legal requirements to starting a venture fund or to, can anybody do it? I guess is the Maybe this is part of the problem as well. The bar for entry to just start mm -hmm. a fund is high and it's expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, so I guess I'm blessed that I've had the opportunities I've had in the past to be able to build something to be able to start this. But yeah, it's a uh, myriad. And as a lawyer and someone who's even done transactional work on private equity and even helping some startups on, on fundraising and seeing, seeing how it works, it is very difficult and you 
could be dealing with multiple jurisdictions depending on where your uh, mm-hmm. limited partners are. So, you know, there's a lot to factor in. And then it's not just the legal fees, it's the fund administration and the fund management. Like, for instance, in the UK, are you going to be regulated if you're not, if your fund doesn't need to be regulated or are you going to be authorised on your own or are you going to use an umbrella? What does that mean? So it's a real steep learning curve. And I've got to admit, in my personal journey, there have been too few who've who've responded to my request just for help and advice, including what I would consider, and I, I use this as the good guys, but, you know, the people trying to address the same problems. Uh, that I am either focused on female, you reach out, but there's no return call. But there is one person, he's at a traditional fund. He is a white male VC. But honestly, he came back, like we had a call, we talked about stuff. He said, keep in contact, let him know it's going. And, you know, he's tried to help me. Like he, a couple mm-hmm. of weeks later, I didn't hear from him. And then all of a sudden, an email popped up or message popped up saying, oh, yeah, sorry, it's taken me a couple of weeks to get back to you. But I just wanted to make sure that here's an introduction. This could be the partner you're looking for, blah, blah, blah. I was blown away by that, that kind gesture. Somebody who just literally could have had a call with me said, yeah, not interested in this, never going to go anywhere. Why exert any effort? That's great. You You mentioned it is difficult. It's always difficult to start something new. But you're doing it alone. You don't have a partner. No, I'm on the I'm on the hunt for a partner. It's like dating, I guess. You keep trying to kiss a lot, a lot of frogs to find that person. Like ultimately, you know, knowing that I'm going to get challenged, uh, rightly so, on track record. Mm-hmm. I would like to find a partner who has VC experience, who buys in deeply to the concept and the mission and the vision that we have. Uh, and is looking to build a a VC firm, not a fund, i.e. this is not a Mm -hmm. one-and-done exercise. This is about creating over multiple funds and hopefully generationally growing this to something something really special. Well, if you're listening and that describes you, get in touch (laughs) with Kevin. Absolutely. I wanted to tell you all about something I've been working on quietly for the past year or so, and that's Agency U. Agency U is a membership-based program where I work one-on-one with a small group of agency founders and leaders toward their business goals. We do one-on-one coaching sessions and also monthly group meetings. We start with goal setting, advice, and problem solving based on my experiences over the last 18 years of running ThoughtBot. As we progress as a group, we all get to know each other more, and many of the Agency U members are now working on client projects together and even referring work to each other. Whether you're struggling to grow an agency, taking it to the next level and having growing pains, or a solo founder who just needs someone to talk to, in my 18 years of leading and growing ThoughtBot, I've seen and learned from a lot of different situations, and I'd be happy to work with you. Learn more and sign up today at thoughtbot.com slash agencyu. That's A-G-E-N-C-Y, the letter U. In the meantime, while you're working on building this venture fund, you said, okay, I'm going to start building a community right away, right? Yeah. And when it comes to platform, how, how are you doing that? Are you using something off the shelf? Are you piecing it together? How, how's it going? Oh, it's such hard work. Who would have thought, I, you know, my wife likes, laughs at me, right? Because uh, since she's known me, every time we go into like a town or village or shop that has a community board, 
I'd stop and read it and she would laugh. She's like, it's such a geeky thing to do. And I was like, I'd love community. I'd like to know what's going on, what's happening. Presumed it, therefore, it's relatively easy to build one. Then was very nervous and I was like, I don't know how to get started. And somebody who's in the community, but also just an amazing person, Amy, she said to me, dude, just get started. Uh, Stop procrastinating. Just start a WhatsApp group. So Mm -hmm. I did. And then uh, I invited a couple of friendly faces, i.e. friends, and said, uh, please, can you join this group? And then I invited a couple of founders that I just connected with and just started having conversations with. And from that moment, and this was early... This was in October, early October, and then my son went into hospital. But from that moment, it started growing. So October, beginning, say, beginning of October 2021 to date, we're about 60 founders, which I think is not bad. And it's, we use WhatsApp group. Then I had some conversations, got some feedback from the founders, and they said, look, we need some more organization because our feed's blowing up with the amount of traffic going through it. So we need some sort of structure. We need some, you know, resources and different things. So I was looking around, it's like, you know, but at the end of the day, what can I get for free? Because I'm not making any money on this. And uh, what can I uh, get for free? So we moved it. So I say moved it, didn't move it. We set up on Slack. Mm -hmm. But I've got to say, despite having more organization, the bulk of the activity still works around WhatsApp. But I will say this, and I'm not a tech person, so I do need support on this. So if there's anybody who wants to voluntarily give me some advice or help or, or just come on board maybe in some sort of capacity, I am trying to build a, a more a platform that's web-based, maybe even app-based, uh, that can help facilitate conversations, learning, investor matching, um, because part of what I'm doing, whilst I haven't raised a fund yet, is that there are members in this community who need support right now financially mm-hmm. i can't give that to them but there are good people out there good angels or or even some of them probably vcs that would and so it's trying to create a platform where we can connect those um founders those underestimated founders and and i think predominantly angels but you know if any vcs want to join that'd be great too just to help these guys get started like they need to start moving forward and they can't wait for me to to get a fund up and running so whatever I can do so um, I am looking at building a platform it's just in the question of uh how do I do this and is there anybody to help me if you're a founder who wants to get involved in this community and think it would be beneficial to them where do they go to do that I'd say reach out to me either email me kevin.withane at gmail.com or or connect with me on LinkedIn uh two best places we'll chat but generally Mm -hmm. The community is open. If you're an underestimated founder, if you just tick that box, you're in. Come and learn, grow, support, be supported. You'll see that, uh, you know, we've had some new members in the last week who've just said this is a really interesting community. And I spoke with one today that said, you know, I'm, I'm gen- general very wary, particularly about being around people who have similar businesses to what I have, you know, competitors. And I said, why? Why are you scared of competitors? And, you know, She's in a field which sort of relates to sustainability. I said, to really deliver the sustainability you want to deliver, it's about collaboration. And that's what this group has. It has that in spades, people working together, people supporting each other. E-platform, they are going gangbusters on sharing information. This is what we use. This is a great book. This is a great resource. These are great people to go and speak to. And so it takes the pain and reduces the stresses of being a founder, which like you've got to do so many different things and 
generally you got to do all of those things on your own with a very few number of people supporting you. And I imagine that a, a lot of the people in the community so far are people who sort of invite each other in. Yeah. Uh, and it's other people that I've met who have contacted me said, look, we've got this startup. We're looking for an advisor or we're just looking for a bit of support or even someone saying we're looking for investment. So I'm very upfront where we are at the stage we are, but you know, I introduce them to the community and, and they start embedding themselves in it and it's growing. As I said, uh, the mission, uh, I don't know if it's bold enough, but I think it is bold is to, to be the world's largest community of underestimated founders. And, you know, I actually asked a question with a group yesterday was, uh, how do I go from, say, 50 to like 500 in a few months, but real genuine people that want to be community members, like actually contribute and right. be active? I'm still waiting for the answer to that question. I'm hoping that's going to come next week. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious, given sort of your work in and correct me if this is wrong, but I would say a more corporate space in your work in international law firms and global public companies and that kind of thing. How has that experience either been different or, or the same as what you're trying to do now? And how do traditional companies approach issues like this? So I get to work with, you know, I have, I have the day job as I call it, but you know, Diversity X and, and supporting diversity is my passion. To address some of the passions that I have, the reality is not every workplace can or chooses to, to allow that to happen for employees. And You know, in certain companies, your role is your role. And if you want more, then go outside. So, so for me, the things I wanted to do that I, I don't get the opportunity to do in my workplace or in the way I want to do it in my workplace. So, you know, I started looking outside. Well, who can I help that needs someone like me to help them with this sort of thing? And that's how I sort of sort of fell into the sort of helping start founders. And that's where I found this absolute passion. I think everybody who works with founders and startups always energized um, in a way that uh, in corporates, the energies, it sits in pockets in my experience and you don't tend to see huge organizations. And this is not to say they don't exist. There are some that do, but who are mm -hmm. energized and focused on a purpose. Uh, I think those that have purpose, that's really, really clearly defined and embedded, do have this energy of drive and innovation and disruption. And even I'll go as far as trying to have radical change. Others are trying to learn, you know, and to be fair to many organizations, some of this stuff is new to them mm -hmm. and they're learning and it takes time and you have to give them time and you have to give them the opportunity to fail and make mistakes. So there is a lot of companies that are trying to do the right thing, trying to be better, trying to embrace their people and the issues and the, and the things that their people care about, but as well as balancing what to their, the wider stakeholders, you know, because they have multiple stakeholders. It's not easy. It's a tough balancing act for anybody in a leadership position in the corporate to say, well, look, we've got to deliver financial results, but also we've got to think long-term, but you know, we're measured on short-term. How do you do that? It takes a lot, a lot of work and effort, which is why I see the opportunity for startups in particular to operationalize this stuff early on. Mm -hmm. 
so that it becomes embedded because retrofitting it's very expensive and very time consuming and resource heavy. Having lived and worked in the UK, China, Hong Kong, Russia, the United States, how are things different in all of those places when it comes to work and issues like this? Let me let me just quickly ask you a question and see what you think. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you think was the hardest place out of those locations to, to live and work? Hmm. Russia. It's interesting. I don't know. No, no, no. Like everybody, I think people would usually say, and people do say to me, oh, China must have been really hard or, or Russia yeah. must have been really hard, right? Well, I, I went to visit China about two and a half years ago and it completely changed my perspective on what China is like. Yeah. And so that's why I didn't answer China. <laughs> but, it, uh, you know, I, I don't want to invalidate your perspective if China was the <laughs> most difficult place for you. Actually not. Uh, the United States has, was, was the hardest place, which is why in 2020 uh, we made that decision to, for multiple reasons, to return home back to the UK. It's the land of opportunity, but it's slipping by. Mm-hmm. They've got so much resource. They've got so much of everything, but there's such disunity in my perspective and my lived experience. Now, mm-hmm. if you're an American, you might see it differently. If you're someone... An, an immigrant who who's got naturalized there, you may see it differently, but my personal experience, and that's all I can talk to was that this is a deeply divided country that's frittering away the opportunity to truly be the, the greatest country in the world. And, you know, they talk about being the land of the free. I used to joke with my Canadian colleagues because I was in Detroit. So you look North, mm-hmm. uh, you look South, sorry, you look South to Detroit, which is the only place in it. I use this as my, uh, my, my pub quiz question of, uh, it's the only place in America, I believe that if you look South, you're looking at Canada. Right. But I used to say that's the land of the freer, because truly, I actually felt more restricted in the United States than living in Russia or the United uh, mm-hmm. or in China. You get told what to do. Uh, it's just done in a different way in the United States. And that, that's just my experience. But look, I lived there three and a half years. It's not a lifetime by any stretch of the imagination. And it was a time when, you know, I guess many of the people I love and care about in America probably said, Kevin, you are here at the worst time to be here. <laughs> right and this is not the real america but unfortunately that was the america i experienced so you know mm-hmm. it was the hardest place for me you know i i think that, that that's actually where america gets into trouble is by continually saying this isn't the real america and you can only say that for so long when we've been saying it for a long time and so i think it's you know it's important to ask ourselves isn't that actually the real america then Sort of to your point of the VCs and not changing the demographics despite saying something is a problem and working at it over time. And, oh, we've made a percentage point of progress. It means that you're not really working on the problem or willing to change because you're probably not focused on the right things. Yeah, and... Like you think about the United States, America, it's funny. The house I'm living in is what, 172 <laughs> years old. You know, it's it's older than so many places in the States. And yet, you know, I remember like someone saying, oh, you were living in the 1950s house. That's an old, that's a, that's a really old house. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's almost a new build in the UK, you know. America has this rich history to still create. Yeah. And I think that's what lends us to being 
more aggressive when it comes to investment and more sort of willing to take risks. So there, like you said, there's, there's, there's tons of opportunity and some tons of potential at the same time as there are probably real big problems. Yeah. You know, that saying about the rising tides mm-hmm. benefits all. Yeah. I think in VC, it's had a negative connotation because from the industrial gaslighting is, yeah, there has been an increase in funding, but everybody got it. So the percentages of allocation didn't change. But also America has that opportunity, in my view, to really rise everybody. Like, Look, at just take the education system. It should be the greatest education system in the world, bar none. Like The resources are there. The talent is there. The people are there and they're hungry for that education. Heck, you know, people from other countries scramble to get America to have a piece of that. But why is it not? And it's, I think because there's too much protection of certain groups mm-hmm. and an unwillingness to be more open. But the more open you are to the different ideas, to the different viewpoints, to then finding the best place for us. I think it presents America with a huge, huge opportunity. So, you know, it's, I, I implore you take it because <laughs> you really <laughs> yeah. should be the best, the big, you know, you say you're the biggest and the best, but it, people don't care about the size of your army, really. <laughs> like the everyday right. Joe in the UK doesn't, we don't think about that. You know, I grew up thinking that America was paved with gold and I got there and was like, mm, this is not quite the way, yeah. the way I grew up. Well, inside of America, you know, there's a lack of that perspective, though, because when you can sort of self-believe that that's the case and because you don't have a perspective on what it's actually like elsewhere, um, it's very easy to say, oh, we are the best. Yeah, that's true. And look, who cares that what country is the best in reality? <laughs> you know, like I just, sometimes I like think I've got these three children right now as children. They don't care. Like they just want to get on with people and have more friends and more relationships. And that's what they care about. But at some stage, I don't know where it starts or how it starts. We lose that. We lose that. But you sort of see that in founders, this ability to get past that. And they're trying to address it. At least the founders I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to support. They're really trying to get break past these barriers of we're different and we need to remain different too. We are different. Let's embrace that. And how can we use that to our advantage? Yeah. And I think that to sort of take a step back, and I'm a big believer in in continuous improvement and, and always trying to be better. And I think that when you find yourself in a position where you've stopped doing that, it's no good for anybody. And it's very clear to me that there's a, sort of the next frontier for improving ourselves and the companies that we work at and the world in which we live is all of these things that we've talked about today. And so I really wish you the best uh, with Diversity X and with what you're trying to do. And, you know, please uh, keep in touch and we should talk further, maybe offline after this recording about how we might be able to help uh, more. Brilliant. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Um, so so grateful thank you kevin if folks you said your email address before but you want to say it again or other places where people can reach out to you yeah so it's um kevin.withane that's w-i-t-h-a-n-e at gmail.com or you can find me on linkedin i'm, I'm very visible there mm-hmm. 
And you can subscribe to the show and find notes along with a transcript of this entire episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Mandy Moore. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.